Welcome to OECD Podcast, where policy meets people. You're listening to our special World in Emotion series, highlighting the topics and speakers of the OECD Forum 2019, starting May 20th in Paris. Hello, I'm Clara Young, and I'm talking with Anna Minton, who's a writer, journalist, and reader in architecture at the University of East London. She's the author of Big Capital, Who is London For?, and before that, Ground Control, Fear and Happiness in the 21st Century City. So very nice to meet you, Anna. Nice to meet you. I think that most people would agree that having a home, or at the very least, a decent place to live, is a basic human right. And yet, in many major cities in OECD countries, people are finding it harder and harder to rent or buy a home. And think about this. A little over 50% of the world's population now live in cities, and that percentage is growing. So how can we house everyone? Anna, I know the situation with affordable and social housing in London is very complex. Can you tell us what's happening here in a nutshell? Well, you're right. It's extremely complex, and I almost think it's been deliberately designed that way. Since housing in the UK has been so totally financialized, actually it's become at the same time almost impossible to understand, and that is a byproduct of the privatization of housing. So 40 years ago, before housing was seen uh, purely as a commodity, which is what it is today, actually it was quite easy to understand housing. You had owner occupation, you had council housing, which, which is, is the social housing, which is what we call social housing today, and you had private rented housing, and it was easy to understand. But what we've started to see in the last 15 years or so, perhaps even longer, is actually this incredible confusion uh, around social housing and so-called affordable housing, which to my mind is a deliberate obscuring of the issue because nowadays the government really doesn't provide barely any social housing at all. And in fact, this sector has been decimated mainly through the right to buy the sell-off of council homes, which saw the sale of actually two million council homes. Social housing, This happened in the 90s, in the early 90s, right? from the 1980s. Right. It was Margaret Thatcher's flagship policy. It was introduced in the early 80s, and it continues in England to this day. Um, during this period, council housing got renamed social housing, and as the stock dwindled, we started to see the emergence of this part of the market called affordable housing. Now, this has changed under every government what affordable housing actually is. But when politicians talk to you about affordable housing, actually the Conservative government in 2010 redefined affordable housing to mean up to 80% of market rent or market value. So not very so affordable at London all. With London prices, with prices in many uh, British cities, uh, prices across the southeast of England, that's far from affordable for the vast majority of people. Um, at the same time, the government barely talks about social housing. It doesn't build social housing. So it becomes very, very confusing. And I'd say deliberately confusing. Then affordable housing, is split into these further subsectors of homes to 
part rent, part buy, shared ownership, all of these so-called products. Housing is now sort of subdivided into a whole range of financial products uh, and it becomes impossible to understand. Essentially, we uh, as a country, we build hardly any social housing at all compared to what we used to. And that is the single biggest contributor to our housing crisis. It's a pincer movement. We've decimated social housing, but at the same time, we've had this uh, post 2008 uh, effect on the market as well. And we've also had this influx of huge amounts of global capital into our housing market here in London, really fueling housing land prices, uh, especially in the capital. On top of the rising prices of rent, which according to the 2017 Mayor's Report Housing in London went up 38% between 2005 and 2016. The other part of the pincer movement is that the average individual earnings have only gone up 21%. So you have wage stagnation. Now, I want to ask, why have private rents gone up so much? Is Where is the regulation of well, that? Exactly. You may well ask. I mean, you know, regulation became a dirty word. Uh, from 2010, the government famously said they wanted to see a bonfire of regulation. Uh, the private rented sector isn't regulated. The market isn't regulated. Okay, so that would be perhaps where to start well, yes, in there is untangling this mess. Well, there is a discussion being had. The current mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, is looking into rent controls, but it's a very contentious issue and if they do even introduce some rent controls I suspect they will be on a very small scale. Now if I understand correctly because there is very little social housing uh, I assume that uh, the slack is supposed to be taken up by these private rentals and uh, what's happening is that people are being forced to pay very high rents. That's right, that's right. right. It's not correct to say there is very little social housing mm -hmm. compared, say, to Southern European countries which haven't had this uh, history and tradition uh, of state-subsidised housing. Given that we started off with really quite a lot, there does remain uh, over a fifth of our housing is social housing but compared to what it was it's far far less and now what we've seen as the social housing stock has been shrunk people who were in social housing now live in private rented accommodation and that's paid for by the housing benefit system but housing benefit doesn't cover all of those spiraling rents so people are constantly evicted mm. uh, which creates a humanitarian crisis in its turn right uh, I have a figure here that um, the housing benefit amount of housing benefit paid to private landlords doubled from 4.6 billion pounds in 2006 to 9.3 billion pounds in 2016 so and it will be considerably more than that as, uh, now and actually what's happened in a bid to get that housing benefit bill down the government said we're going to pay out less housing benefit and that will bring the bill down but it hasn't because housing and land prices have gone up rents have gone up you can't get housing to rent below a certain price so it just means that tenants are in this constant cycle of not being able to afford it and being kicked out of their homes being moved on to cheaper places
more than three times as many people now live on the street than before the yeah, financial crisis. That's right, that's right. It's very, very visible. We did uh, an interview with uh, Alexander Zeldin, who is a playwright. And in his play, Love, he shows a family who had been kicked out of a private rental because they couldn't pay and they were put in temporary shelter. So this is something that uh, is happening to many, many people. Absolutely. And when we talk about temporary accommodation, actually, that's a huge sector. When you say people living on the street, that's actually people literally sleeping rough on the street. And those figures have more than doubled, literally sleeping outside. Those figures are probably much more than doubled now since 2010. But the numbers in temporary accommodation, which is another way of... uh, Uh, classifying homelessness as well. This is also part of the confusion, Uh, but the numbers in temporary accommodation have also soared, and that is particularly families. Right. In your latest book, you argue that these specific circumstances in the history of London housing, which we've been talking about, has combined with an influx of global capital into the city, and this, this is pushing prices up even further. Can you go into this? Yeah. So the way I describe it in the book... I say, well, my view is that trickle-down economics really hasn't worked. Trickle-down being the idea that lots of wealth comes into an area, let's say all this global capital comes into, into the city, and it trickles down to benefit the poorest parts which need it the most. And we, we can see all around us that it doesn't work, but actually we do have a type of trickle-down which is very much in evidence. But instead of benefiting uh, poorer communities, it displaces them. And the way it does that is actually by raising land and property prices and rents so that those original communities can no longer afford to live there and they are pushed out. So you can see the trickle down of land and property prices and displacement through London to the point where actually many families now can no longer afford to live in London at all and they may move to south coast towns, Margate, Hastings, uh, Bristol. And again, that process will happen in those areas as well. These billionaires and outside investors, uh, are they buying to let or to rent as absentee landlords or are they buying second homes? Yeah, I think it's a mixture, actually. It's quite hard to get uh, stats. But if you are a billionaire, oligarch type uh you may well not be present, you know, in your fifth home. You're living that kind of transatlantic type of lifestyle. You may only come for a few weeks a year. So actually, it would have the same sort of effect. In that same mayor's report that I mentioned earlier, it says that only 1.3% of homes in London are second homes, not specifying belonging to whom but that second homes comprise actually quite a small percentage of of the homes in London. Yeah, I mean, I think the phenomenon of leaving homes empty uh, just to see the prices rise is much larger than the buying multiple homes. Mm. And, you know, we know that a lot of those properties aren't lived in, but equally, a lot are, a lot will be Airbnb. It's just using property in a very different way. Local housing authorities and councils, um, they say they're impoverished and they can't do anything. They can't do anything about that. But then at the same time, you're also saying uh, that the value of land has been going up and up and up for all these different reasons that we discussed. Now, is there no way for the City of London to 
capture any of that land value? Oh, I mean, there absolutely could be if there was a different ideological approach to housing. Of course there is. If we had a different approach to public land, we could do things very, very differently. I mean, one of the examples I always give is, as far as I know, the municipal authority in Zurich has said that all public land in the city needs to be used for joint ventures with housing associations. Now, Transport for London, public body in London, uh, has said that all its public land needs to be used for joint ventures with private developers, mm -hmm. private house builders. So that is such a different approach. We've looked at in the OECD what sort of land use governance in other cities, and Amsterdam was one city that uh, the OECD has looked at, and they have that the city has made money off the rising value of its land with something called a ground lease system, where the city leases out the land it owns in return for rent. Is that an idea that London well, could borrow? I mean, absolutely, it is. But once again there would need to be the political will mm. to look for those sorts of solutions which are rooted in housing as a public good mm. rather than actually wanting land prices to rise and believing that keeping the market going inflated and trying to get as many people into home ownership as possible is the way forward. So is there's a lack of public will to make housing affordable? Alternative political perspectives would put forward those sorts of solutions saying actually the market is restricted. Free the market, we'll see more housing, we'll see prices coming down. That's argued very, very often. I think that would make the situation even worse. And there is no mechanism for a public review of housing policy in London? Uh, a process that opens it up, makes it more transparent, which involves uh, all the different interested parties. Again, I go back uh, I to... I mean, you know, we've had many, many commissions and reviews into housing over the years. The previous Labour government uh, did a quite important review by the economist Kate Barker into housing, uh, which looked at land value tax, it looked at social housing, it came out with some very, very good recommendations which were not implemented. Hmm. And my view on that is that simply the house builders in this country have a stranglehold over the government. So that work has been done. A lot of people know what needs to be done, but it just isn't done. So what can be done about that? What can be done about this stranglehold? <laughs> well, it needs to be broken. The system isn't working for anybody, but there are so many vested interests and these players are connected with policy and government. What about um, housing activism? Housing is activism a... is making a difference, especially around the demolition of housing estates. I think that that really has taken off and we've seen some significant successes which have led into some significant legal uh, successes as well. I don't think we're anywhere near the situation where they've been in Spain, where that housing activist movement became so strong. We've got nothing really like that at all. Housing activism is behind some successes, but 
it certainly hasn't been able to make uh, the sort of dent in the in the tide that we need. That said, you know, the movement towards more secure tenancies, uh, towards rent controls, towards better conditions for tenants, that is as a result of successful housing activism. Lots of food for thought, Anna, and thanks for speaking with us. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to OECD Podcasts. I'm Clara Young. For more OECD information on housing, have a look at the governance of land use in OECD countries. And of course, Anna Minton's latest book is Big Capital, Who is London For? Give it a read. Thank you for listening to OECD Podcasts. You can learn more on this topic at the 2019 OECD Forum, World in Emotion, taking place May 20th and 21st. To listen to more OECD podcasts, you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and soundcloud.com slash OECD.